It's good to see all of you here today. Uh, I want to begin by thanking Pastor Greg for giving me the opportunity of being part of this significant service today. I've been a board member with IBM Global for about 11 years now, and I can say honestly that, that my connection to this church and to IBM Global has been one of the great joys of my life. I really love coming here and being involved in the, the great mission that you have in reaching people for Christ. I'll never forget when Pastor Larry and Phil Hunt paid me a visit in my office when I was serving as the missions director at Northland Baptist Bible College. IBM Global had been birthed out of Merrimack Valley Baptist Church, and they were asking me to become a founding board member of the mission. And I told them, I don't do that. I had other opportunities to be on mission boards, but I tried to stay neutral for the sake of my students. I had a, over 100 mission students, and I just tried to be neutral because some will go this way and some will go that way. And the other thing that came to my mind was, why would they want me anyway? I was a nobody. You know, wasn't a rich guy. He didn't, didn't, you know, I mean, it wasn't a name. They said, we want you to help us shape the philosophy of the board. And I really had to pause on that one. And I could not pass that opportunity up. One of the core principles of IBM Global is that our missionaries need to practice indigenous ministry. They are to plant churches that can stand on their own two feet, limiting financial help from the states. The goal is for churches to be self-supporting and self-governing. This is the indigenous principle. And today, we celebrate the graduation of the mission agency itself, IBM Global, becoming self-supporting and self-governing. And I want to commend you as a church body for nurturing this mission agency and bringing it to adulthood. God has used this church and is continuing to use this church to bring about church planting movements throughout the world. Now, if you would... Uh, like to open your Bibles, or you can look at the screen. Um, open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 16, 5 through 9. I would like to focus on the opportunity ahead of us. Others could reflect on what God has done in the past more capably than I could, but I think my role today is to help us to focus on the greatest gospel opportunity since the Reformation. And that might be, seem like an overstatement of, of what's taking place today, but I intend to, to try to defend that, that statement. Paul is speaking to the church at Corinth. He wants to visit them, but he has some very important things to do first. Now I will come to you when I pass through Macedonia, for I am passing through Macedonia. And it may be that I will remain or even spend the winter with you, that you may send me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not wish to, to see you now on the way, 
but I hope to stay a while with you if the Lord permits. But I will tarry in Ephesus until Pentecost. And then this verse that we want to focus on. For a great and effective door has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. I want to do three things in this message this morning, and that is to talk about this concept of open doors. How does Paul view open doors? And then, how does Paul measure the value of that particular open door? And then, third, how does Paul face the challenges that come with open doors, as always uh, happens. So we're focusing on this statement, and especially on the, the blue text there, on this first point, how, how does Paul view open doors? A door has opened. Open doors are God-appointed opportunities in the New Testament. God is the one who opens the door. So we really do need to walk through that doorway. When we typically think about opportunities in our lives, we think about choices. Trying to figure out where to go to college. So I've got choice A, choice B, choice C, choice D. And generally, I boil it down to where can I get the most financial help and maybe a few other things. Or or maybe I'm not going to go to college at all. I think you get the idea that, that that's not really the biblical concept of an open door. That's just a modern idea of the opportunities that we have. An open door in Pauline theology is something that God certainly wants you to do. There's no choosing between options. Let me illustrate this with a few scriptures. Acts 14.27, already mentioned this morning. Now when they had come come and gathered the church together, they reported all that God had done with them and that he had opened the door of faith, the door resulting in faith in the salvation of Gentiles throughout the Roman Empire. In this passage, Paul is reporting to his sending church at Antioch about how his first missionary journey went. God had called Paul to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, and he did it. And many Gentiles got saved, and the Lord began to plant churches in those locations. But I want you to notice here that it was God who opened this door. That's a critical point. The next passage, 2 Corinthians 2, verse 12, we have Paul at Troas, and God had again opened a door to preach the gospel there. But notice, Paul had no rest in his spirit because he couldn't find his brother Titus, this fellow worker Uh, on the missionary team. So he experienced anxiety over this. He was stressed out about this. And this raises an important point, I think, that as you think about walking through the door that God has called you to, sometimes 
you experience anxiety. You're, you get stressed out because of the responsibility and because things happen that you have to deal with along the way. And this does not necessarily mean that you're out of God's will. In fact, you're right in the center of God's will. And God's going to help you with all of these things. So off Paul went to look for, for Titus. And with no cell phones, there weren't very many ways to find out exactly where he ended up. So it caused a lot of stress in his life. And I can say this, he eventually found him along the way. The third passage in Colossians 4, 3. In this passage, Paul requests prayer that God would open a door for the word so that he could preach Christ. And this is really interesting here because Paul's in jail right now. He's in the slammer, you know, and he is, he is looking for opportunities to be able to, to expand his ministry, whatever that would look like. I think that's, he doesn't know exactly, but it might be that he would have more opportunities to talk to fellow prisoners, more opportunities to talk to the guards, and it also might mean his release. He's leaving that up to the Lord. But there he is, sitting in chains, asking God for open doors to share the gospel. So let me summarize where we're at so far. Open doors are God-appointed opportunities in Scripture. God is the one who opens the door, so we need to walk through that doorway. Now, this presumes that we really care about what God wants us to do. It also presumes that we've actually spent time praying about what God wants us to do. And I think that so often we look at our opportunities in life like unsaved people do. They just do the thing that's going to bring the most, the most benefits, the most money, the most prestige, the most power, whatever that is. As believers, we cannot look at things that way. So that's how Paul views opportunities. How does he measure those open doors? He uses the qualifiers, great and effective. A great and effective door. So Paul calls this particular opportunity an exceptional opportunity. He doesn't use these qualifiers anywhere else in scripture when he talks about open doors. I mentioned earlier in the title and everything that our opportunity today where you and I are in 2021 could be called the greatest opportunity since the Reformation, and I'm going to get to that soon. So, if I walk through that kind of door, amazing things are going to happen. God's going to do amazing work when I get on the other side of that door. For Paul, that great and effective door was the city of Ephesus, which is located in modern Turkey, about 80 kilometers south of Izmir. 
This city was the second most important city in the Roman Empire following Rome. It was the center of commerce for Asia Minor, and it had the largest center for religion in the entire Mediterranean region. So that makes it kind of like the center of paganism in Asia Minor. The temple of Artemis, or called by the Romans Diana, was the goddess of hunt, chastity, childbirth, wild animals, and wilderness. And she was worshipped right here in this particular temple for hundreds and hundreds of years. In 356 BC, the temple was burnt to the ground in a war, but the Ephesians built it bigger and more majestic than ever. And what you're looking at, of course, here is a model of that. This temple made the Greek Parthenon in Athens look small, being 450 feet long, 225 feet wide, and 60 feet tall, supported by 127 Roman columns supporting an open wall structure. It became famous, and to us, it's one of the seven wonders of the world. Close to this temple, was the great theater of Ephesus, the largest theater in the world at the time capable of holding 25,000 people. And it is likely that this is where Paul and his, his uh, colleagues ended up and uh, a riot was called in this place as Demetrius the silversmith rose up and stirred up people because he was losing a lot of money because so many people were coming to Christ. So it sounds like this city was, a very, was very important to the spread of the gospel in the ancient world. For this reason, Paul spent more time here than in any other location. If you look at this, a summary of Paul's missionary journeys, they span about 11 years or so. Of course, he did things in ministry before that and also after that, but these are the three famous missionary journeys that he held where he covered so much ground in so many different places. But if you do the math here, you find out that Paul spent 32% of his, of his time just in emphasis. And this is, this is kind of amazing considering that he was in Thessalonica only just you know, a matter of four or five Sundays. I mean, he was, he was not there a very long time. We could go down the list. The, the next highest is Corinth, 1.5 years. So Paul was planning to go to Corinth, but he had more important things to do right now in Ephesus. God was at work. Souls were being saved and the church was being built. This was a strategic place to, to build a, a, a base from which the gospel would go out into, into the whole region. Now, let's return to the idea that I suggested earlier about this being the greatest gospel opportunity since the Reformation, talking 2021. Why would I make such a comparison? The Protestant Re Reformation began in 1517 with Martin Luther, a Roman Catholic monk, who challenged the Roman Catholic Church for keeping people in spiritual darkness for a thousand years. This period is often 
called the Dark Ages because the church took away the Bible from people and made them subservient to its works-based salvation plan. People could only hope to escape eternal punishment by doing enough good works to make it to purgatory. And then, after paying off the remaining debt caused by sin and purgatory, one might hope to get out eventually. Of course, none of this was possible because only faith in the finished work of Christ can bring about the salvation of a lost soul. So think about our situation today in comparison. We live in a post-Christian world. The Bible is no longer considered the standard for morality in the culture. Fewer and fewer people are attending church, and those who do attend, many of them, do so to feel better about themselves. With lowering attendance, churches are closing at an unprecedented rate every single year, and who knows what's going to happen when the results of the pandemic are fully felt. Many believe that there will be three times as many churches closing as in a, in a recent year. Many Christians have adopted the standards of the world and find no problem with, agreeing, with, with agreement with statements like, I'm a woman trapped in a man's body. Where did that come from? How is it possible that even Christians are... are standing and agreeing with that. And what about the strain that all of this puts on pastors? Many pastors are leaving church pulpits over discouragement, and since fewer young pastors are coming up through the ranks, we have empty pulpits across the land today. I talked with a pastor just a few weeks ago who is, is um, well aware of the state of independent Baptist churches in his state. And he said, we've got, and this is a basically a Catholic state, he said, we've got 12 churches with no pastor and no list to draw from. And then he did some surveying of, of three states around him in the Midwest, and the total number came to 100. 100 independent Baptist churches with no pastor. Barna Research explains that we have more pastors over the age of 65 than we have under the age of 40. Where do you think that's going to lead? We are in the middle of a pastor shortage. Sounds pretty dark, doesn't it? Sounds like we need a reformation like the one we had over 500 years ago. That's why... I would argue that we have the greatest gospel opportunity since the Reformation. And Merrimack Valley Baptist Church is perfectly positioned to walk through this open door. It is the light of the gospel in contrast to the spiritual darkness of this world that makes this the greatest gospel opportunity since the Reformation. Well, there's one more thing that we want to talk about for a moment. And that is, there's that door that stands in front of us that God has opened. And if we are willing to step through that door, there will be opposition. There will be adversaries. 
And Paul says here that there are many adversaries in Ephesus. And maybe he was talking about his trial recorded in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 32, when he uh, evidently was, was be being prosecuted for sharing the gospel and his prosecutors were trying to get the death sentence. He talks about uh, the possibility of him being torn apart by wild beasts in that scripture. If you're going to serve God, you're going to face opposition, maybe even persecution. Maybe you're going to be canceled on social media. Maybe you're going to lose your job or lose your house. Maybe you're going to lose your life. Those things may not be that far in the distance. I think when we, when we talk about open doors so often, we talk about it as if, wow, I've got this amazing opportunity because the problems have been cleared away. Paul did not view open doors that way. He viewed them strictly on their merit that God wanted him to do this irregardless of the problems and the opposition that they would face. And when you do ministry, there will be challenges. One of my colleagues was explaining to me in, uh, in, a, in a conversation that we had, how, did, how in the world did you live in Australia and, and raise enough money to come to college in the, in the States? And he said, well, me and my brother had all kinds of fundraising things. And one of the things we did was we went to these uh, lychee trees and we would pick the fruit and then we would sell it on the... We had a little roadside stand, and we would we would sell it there. And I said, "Oh, that's really interesting. Don't the how did you get this fruit?" He said, "Well, people would pick a little bit of it, but the the trees were filled with the fruit, and so they would let us pick it because they knew that we were trying to raise money for college." And I said, "So you made a little few dollars here and there?" He no, he said, "We made thousands of dollars to be able to come to to college." And so I said, well, what, what did you have to do? Did you have to climb the tree? Yep, we climbed the trees, and, and we would pick the fruit. You know, it was, some of the trees were about 20 or 25 feet tall, so there was a lot of climbing to do. But the problem that we faced were green ants. And never seen one of those before. I said, what, what, are, what are they like? He said, well, they, they actually uh, really, really hurt and they inject like a, like a poison in you that causes your, a welt to come on your, on your skin. I said, so what, what happens? Well, you climb the tree, you're going for the lychee fruit, and they jump on your, on your hands and crawl up your arms. They get in your hair. They cut down your back. And you just, I, you got to tolerate it. He said, but it, then you have all these welts. So he said that what we learned to do is we got gloves and long sleeve shirts, and we took duct tape, and we, we duct taped the, the, the opening here and here. Uh, but then we found out they still came up our arms and went down our backs, got in their hair. So that was not a perfect plan until we learned we could put a ring of shaving cream about, around both arms, and they would not cross over that line. They figured out what to do with this big, big obstacle. And have this great opportunity at the same time. And that's what we have to do in missions. 
We have to figure out how to deal with the obstacles. There's always going to be obstacles, always going to be challenges and difficulties, and it's not time to retreat from what God has called us to do. And this was true of Paul. And I, w- I want to just show you a passage that, that uh, where, where Paul is, is talking about all the, the different sufferings that he's experienced. And I'm sure you're very well familiar with this, this passage. But the, the, the thing that strikes you when you read this passage is that we don't really have a lot of details about all of these things that Paul's talking about here. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one, the the famous 39 lashes that a lot of people died from. Well, he had it five times in his life. And we really only see maybe one, maybe two references in Acts where he actually got those. So so there's a lot of the story that Paul doesn't tell us about, that Luke, who wrote Acts, didn't tell us about. But look at this here, in prisons more frequently. This was written before his Caesarea imprisonment, before his, his uh, two times imprisonment in Rome. So we only know of him being imprisoned in Philippi prior to the writing of this passage, and he uses plural. He was imprisoned many times. And I think he was in prison in, in Ephesus for part of the time that he was there. God is opening doors of ministry for his servants every day, but these opportunities have challenges, hardships, things to work through. And we need to guard ourselves against thinking that God is redirecting our lives just because there are problems along the way. So what do we do? Here's three things I'd like to suggest. We need to seek open doors for giving the gospel. God's giving believers. He gives all believers open doors. We need to seek those. We need to, to, to want to, to give the gospel and to fulfill the Great Commission. We need to pray for opportunities that God would give. And then, when there's opposition, we need to face the problems and not draw back. I believe that Merrimack Valley Baptist Church has great opportunities ahead. God is at work. He's raising up servants to meet the need. The challenges are great, both here and abroad and God is going to give us strength and help to meet the challenges that we face ahead let's pray father thank you for the the work the finished work of Christ that you accomplished that made makes it possible for us to be able to, to know you and to serve you. And Lord, as we serve you, we know that you set many, many open doors ahead of us. Help us to obey you, to seek opportunities to share these truths. And I pray, pray that Christ would be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.